2: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn. dot com slash achieve today. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys.
1: I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that,
2: can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team.
0: Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times, second captain's podcast. Oh my damn Kieran Murphy and Ken you are all here. Hi, how are you? Yes. How are you guys? Well, I'm all right, but we're here, let's be honest. It's time to put it all on the table here. Yeah. The three of us are here because we weren't good enough to make it as professional sports people. Yeah. I mean that's yeah. that's that's the truth here. I mean, we enjoy sitting in studio talking about sport interviewing people yeah. but it's hard not to absolutely despise the talented bastards who we have to oh your career is so amazing you tell make more, loads of money yeah tell us tell, tell us, all us more about, about
3: that time that you made 3 million people unbelievably <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. happy tell with us your brilliant more about, about
2: the unique aspects of your character that have driven you
0: to this success <laughs> that, we, that we don't possess <laughs> Yeah, well,
2: that's good that's
0: yeah. real life lessons for me not really but if there's anything more hateful than these successful sports people yeah. it's the ones who've made it to the top in one sport but could just as easily, you know, they just weren't really bothered with another sport. They could have done it at that as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at you, Bo Jackson, and you, Victor Costello, your shot putting <laughs> and, your, and your rugby. Yeah. You, know, you know, these guys, it, it's, it's, it's hard not to hate them. Yeah. i so, uh, Dar- them, Dar-
3: the you know, oh, I'll, I'll, play with, I'll play hurling with Cork for a year. And then, oh, okay, so I'll, I'll try and play, you know, rugby for Munster. I'll represent Ireland at the Under 20 Rugby World Cup. <laughs>
0: You know, piss, is there, piss, piss off. Is me. there a soccer game around? Yeah. I'll, I'll pick up some top. I'll pick them when you're my new yours, your it. Well, your Dwight Yorks, your Connell Keeneys. What york
2: oh Cricket, I think.
0: Oh, he was. Yeah, he was in Brian to... Lara's team, wasn't he? In... Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he was
2: in Brian Lara's class or something like that. Isn't there
0: an amazing picture? I say amazing. If you're a Shaka Hislop fan, it's amazing. Yeah. Shaka Hislop, uh, Brian York. Lara <laughs> and Dwight York in the photos. Right there. <laughs>
2: did did
0: you just
3: there? did you just suggest that a photograph of Shaka Hislop, Dwight York and Brian Lara is an amazing
0: photograph? If you're a big fan of Trinidad, Trinidadian sport. <laughs> you're uh, you're an easily impressed man. Sonny Bill Williams. Sonny Bill Williams is like the... Uh, it's actually obscene, that guy. I mean, it's sort yeah. of the far end of it. He literally does have. It's not just you get to a point in, in a sport and you give up another sport. It's like you play a sport for a few years. You play one vaguely similar. Yeah. Uh, then you play a totally different one in boxing.
3: Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's something that's kind of different. You, thing, do, you
0: don't play boxing, Murph, they say. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. Also, he's, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure. I think he's just an extremely strong, muscly man. With a high profile that people think could sell boxing tickets. I mean, if you're asking me, would he win in a boxing fight between me and him? Yeah. He would probably win that fight. Yeah. But I'm not entirely sure. He would
0: beat
2: Floyd
3: Mayweather.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. But I mean, there are different layers. It's it's an amazing thing you've hit upon there. That <laughs> oh, amazing, It's possible again. to be professional at a sport.
3: <laughs> no, what I'm saying is he's not um, much of a boxer. That's all.
0: Uh, how often would you? Have, how many of his fights have you seen?
3: Well, I mean, I've seen some of the guys he's fought, and I mean. You know, I think Mickey Rourke might be the next, <laughs> might be the next man on Sonny Bill Williams' radar. To be honest, right. I mean, Mickey Rourke has dodged Sonny Bill Williams for too long. If you ask me, <laughs> someone make this <laughs> right. fight. Yeah,
0: we're going to talk to US Murph about that. Not that specific point, okay. but whatever really? I was talking about before that. Yep. Uh, because Colin Kaepernick and Russell Wilson, these are two two guys who were up against each other last uh, Thursday Thanksgiving yep. for, the, uh, for the two quarterbacks of so the 49ers and the Seahawks. I don't know if we should even bring this up at Murph because the 49ers are absolutely hammered and I don't think he's too happy about how their season's going at the moment. But Wilson uh, and Kaepernick were both drafted out of college, could have both had professional careers in baseball, and that seems to be a big mix. Obviously, there's a little bit of a basketball baseball connection with, say, Michael Jordan, but it, it seems that a lot of the NFL guys, the really talented NFL guys, have also been high level baseball players up until a certain right, okay. point. So, yeah, just to give you a bit of backstory on that, sounds good. But there is one scenario, guys. You mentioned boxing there. There's one scenario in our lives that allows us to show the discipline of the professional sports person can yeah. push that, yourself to the limit. Just push yourself to the limit. Really go beyond the usual bounds of you know, find find out
3: like, something about yourself. You know, in a real
0: pressure situation that you didn't know you were capable of. You want to know when that is, again? When? It's when you stay up to 6am to watch a boxing fight. I've done that before. But yeah, we're going to do it for Andy Lee's fighting Matt Carboff, December 13th in Vegas. Ooh. Vegas. I mean, that's, that's eight hours. December hour
2: 13th, let me think. That's a Saturday. Yeah. Well, it's a Sunday morning, I guess. Yeah. That's the the Liverpool Man United game is, is later on that afternoon, half past half past one. Yeah. Well, Merce Wedding is on uh, that week, so...
0: Yeah, that'll I mean get, it's it's
3: it's, the, it's it's a marathon all round. It's a marathon all round.
0: I mean We should definitely we should let's think this through again. We should definitely go to Merv's wedding, right? I mean, that's a forgiven, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't we? But uh, yeah, no, staying up till five a.m. six. A. I don't know what time it's going to be. On. It's on Box Nation, um, so I suppose you have to also subscribe to that. So there are complications, but we have to watch Andy Lee. I did it to watch. I think it was Hatton against
2: Mayweather. That was uh, yeah. That, that was one of those late nights. I mean,
3: I mean, you didn't have to stay up too much. Oh in yeah, I think after I'm, the
0: fight at least but. I, think we watched that my, I think we watched that together I like the, <laughs> this is a sure. problem with these fights at this time you're not sure where you're watching, who <laughs> are you watch
3: them of course uh, I mean, you know, you do have to show the discipline of the sportsman but uh, just don't ask me any further questions about this fight because I will probably have gotten demented by the time the fight actually begins Andy Lee
0: is fighting Matt Koroboff as I mentioned December 13 so we'll chat to Andy about that today but let's get going with the US Murphy.
1: Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses.
0: I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior.
1: You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World
0: Brian Murphy, we're going to talk this week about people you and I both despise: talented bastards who can pick up any sport they choose and become superstars <laughs> at it. Yeah. That's
1: not you and me, is it, Owen? Uh, how you doing?
0: Not. Yeah, not too bad at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a, um, a, 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 a we sit in marvel. There's a reason why you and I are in sports media. We we get to we get to watch these guys because if we had to play, I recall years ago, didn't you have a? Uh, a sprinting match against uh, against a staff member was it against Kieran? Yes. And, uh, yeah. Well, no, yeah, actually, yeah. Brian,
0: I, that did not happen. That sprint never occurred. <laughs> it didn't take place. I don't know why you. I must
1: have been. I must have yeah. been dreaming. I
0: guess. Right. <laughs> eh? uh, this popped into Simon's head. He he. After watching the Forty ers against the Seahawks, uh, Colin Kaepernick, who didn't didn't do particularly well for your guys this time around against oh. Russell. Would you want to talk about that very briefly? Get that off your chest.
1: Oh, well, I mean, here we are licking the wounds. But, boys, I mean, if you, uh, boy, if you want to do a two-hour uh, <sighs> dissertation on what's gone wrong with the 49ers, the, the season is in flames, boys. The season's in flames. Uh, Kaepernick laid a big, stinking, rotten egg at home on Thanksgiving, on national TV, in front of everybody. Uh, Our darkest fears were realized, because he's had sort of this inconsistent year, and I remain a a defender of his, but boy, I was stripped of my arsenal on Thursday night at Thanksgiving night, because uh, Kaepernick was everything his detractors say he was. He was inaccurate, he was indecisive, he he lost his poise. Uh, The Seahawks defense, guys, looks like it's regained its mojo. It's going to be an interesting few final weeks, but the Seahawks have the edge now, uh, still trailing Arizona in the West, but the 49ers, and we can talk about this. I'm sure we will in February and March when it all goes down, but it appears they're going to part ways with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, at the game ended on Thanksgiving night, I'm sure you all know by now that uh, Jed York, the 49ers' owner, sent out a tweet saying, I, this performance was unacceptable. I apologize for that. And that's uh, it's not something an owner generally does to his coach as the, tick, the seconds are ticking down on a Thanksgiving mm. night game. So we all see it happening, but we can talk about more pleasant things, like two-sport athletes. Exactly, and maybe uh, Kaepernick...
0: (laughs) Well, what I I want to start with, Kaepernick could have maybe uh, led an easier life by signing up with the Chicago Cubs. I understood that they they drafted him, and uh, and Russell Wilson, who was the opposing quarterback, could have played baseball at major league level as well. We started looking into this, and the amount of guys who, particularly it seems baseball and, and American football, Brian, seems to be the... The way it's married up and these guys get to college right, right to the top of college level and into professional sports. And then sometimes they, they get to make the choice. Dan Marino, John Elway, Tom Brady even. Uh, is, is this, well, I don't know if common is the right word, but there seems to be a good precedent for this.
1: Well, it's interesting. It is kind of the highest level of uh, of athletic achievement to be good enough to be drafted in two major sports in the U.S., and you've named some of the guys, and so it's not, you know, it's not a one in a million. It, you get guys like this, but it definitely is. It means you are the creme de la creme, the elite of the elite, and you, you occupy sort of a special place in, uh, in American sports lore, especially those – now, you mentioned Tom Brady or John Elway. Those guys did just decide to go with one sport, but there have been a few guys – who've gone ahead and tried to play both and done it somewhat successfully too and uh, the two most famous names I think uh of the modern era would be the great Bo Jackson who uh was a uh, college superstar football player who won the Heisman Trophy at Auburn University big school big football school down in Alabama and then wound up having a very vibrant uh, major league baseball career too was an all-star as a major league baseball player for the Kansas City Royals the other guy who kind of followed in Bo's footsteps, sort of biting Bo's style, but did it with a lot more flash and sizzle because he was much more of a, of a media personality, is Dion Sanders, who uh, most people think of him only as a football player, but actually played baseball for a good long while, too, and actually played a little bit for my San Francisco Giants, too, but also played for the Atlanta Braves and the Cincinnati Reds. And he did it not to the degree Bo was. He never made the All Star team, but he he is a guy who played in a world. He had an incredible distinction of playing in a World Series game and then flying in the same weekend and playing in an NFL game. I think uh, incredible achievement that. That's that's just when you're just you're just ball, that's when you're just flexing what a baller you are. I'm going to play in the World <laughs> Series and in an NFL game uh, on the same weekend. So that's like, you know, that's the kind of stuff. Those of us who play Little League in the U.S. or Pop Warner football could never even dream of pulling off something like that. So, But, yeah, interestingly, I thought you mentioned Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick, both the quarterbacks of uh, my two prime uh, football teams I focus on. One I root for, one is the rival. Both were drafted by major league baseball teams, too. Kaepernick was a pitcher. Uh, which is a little unusual. A lot of the guys who are two sport athletes, like Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, wind up being outfielders because they're used for their speed. They can run great distances in the outfield and, and catch the ball, and they can also run the bases. You rarely get a guy who can pitch and also be a football player. And that was Kaepernick. He was apparently a heck of a high school pitcher who threw a very hard fastball. And if anybody ever watched him play football, you can see mm-hmm. the re- the roots of that when he throws the ball sometimes. He throws, sometimes, the ball too hard for his receivers and that's one of the criticisms he doesn't have a nice touch like Russell Wilson. So but he immediately spurned uh baseball and just said I am a football player first and foremost. Russell Wilson is much more friendly to uh baseball and in fact in keeping with his super, you know, his media personality is so he's got it down, you know, every Tuesday he visits the Seattle Children's Hospital and tweets out pictures of him with the sick kids every Every week he tweets out his Bible verses and tells people to be better people he 's one of these real do gooders and uh, and in, because so instead of like Kaepernick, who just blew off baseball, Wilson said, "Well, I want to see you know what I can do, even if i can 't play i 'm going to see what I can do so the The Texas Rangers drafted him and he said i 'm going to go to spring training and and hang out with these guys, and maybe I can learn something from them and if they want to pick my brain so he actually went to spring training with the Texas Rangers and uh suited up for a day. And some people thought it was a gimmick, but he was like, "No, I love baseball. I want to, if I, if I have a chance to wear a uniform for one day, even in spring training." Typical Russell Wilson like, you know, just like everybody loves his his personality. The Rangers loved having him there. He did all the interviews, he took grounders. So, he actually played minor league baseball too when he was uh in college. He 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 made a go at it. So, it is an interesting topic, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's funny Brian, you a, a- The clearly now, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers just, I I assume, just wouldn't sign Colin Kaepernick if he turned around to them and said, oh, by the way, I'm also going to be playing in the Major Major League Baseball. But Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders were not just good enough, but baltsy enough to tell the bosses of two major league, uh, two top level um, professional sports in the US that they were going to just play year round and in some cases in the same weekend, as you said.
1: Yeah, and Bo Jackson's uh, a great case because he he had a bit of a. This goes back into the '80s now, uh, uh, the old days for you youngins, but uh, for my day, it was my prime. Bo Jackson was coming out of Auburn, and uh, the the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a guy named Hugh Culverhouse. This is when the Buccaneers were just awful, and they really kind of have been for most of their existence, despite their one Super Bowl under John Gruden. Uh, and and Hugh Culverhouse was kind of their bumbling owner, but he was kind of blustery, and he. And Tried to draft uh, Bo Jackson, and and it was a big a, kind of a. I don't want to get too much into the details, but there, they had a bit of a spat about whether he should fly on a private plane to be recruited by the Buccaneers while he was in college, and it was an NC two A violation. But Culverhouse sort of lied to him and said it's not a violation. So Bo Jackson swore that he wouldn't play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went ahead and said, "Well, we're going to draft you," and feel like the fact that we're making you a number one draft pick. Will will outweigh your petty dispute with the owner, and you'll want to come be a big star in the NFL. And he said no. He blew him off. He said I can go play baseball. He said I am gonna I, I, you lied to me. I don't I don't I don't trust you. So he actually in the 1986 draft just blew off a year of football and went and played for the Kansas City Royals. And it took somebody special to kind of woo him back, and that was the late great Raiders owner Al Davis, right. the Oakland Raiders irascible legendary owner who was always moving his team and suing the league and hiring renegades and building that whole Raiders image that so many Raiders fans just adored in the 1970s and 80s, and now, of course, is scuttled onto the rocks into a (laughs) dark decade of football for the Raiders. And, of course, Al's no longer with us. He passed away a couple years ago. But Al Davis is the guy who wooed Bo Jackson back. He he drafted him the next year, even though he knew that Bo had said he's not going to play football, And, and Bo Jackson was sort of impressed and dazzled by the Al Davis connection and came back and played for the Raiders and had a pretty darn good career until sadly his hip, uh, he suffered a famous hip injury playing football and it really curtailed his career. I think it was 1990 or 91. So he only played about five or six years of football before he was sidelined. But the brief times he was on the field, he was explosive. He was kind of famous. He had a very legendary Monday night football run that you could just say to any Raiders fan or any Monday night football fan, he was up in Seattle when they played in the Kingdome and broke a long, I don't have the yardage, 80, 90, 85-yard touchdown run in which he sprinted so far away from the defense as they futilely chased after him. And he kept, he, his speed was so top end that uh, like Linford Christie or something, he just kept going right through the end zone into a tunnel in the kingdom he kind of famously like <laughs> sprinted across the goal line through the end zone and into a tunnel and then came back out so uh, he he was a man who did amazing things and is remembered quite fondly
0: did that give him a, the fact that he did it in, in two sports did it give him something of a I don't know a a crossover appeal or an appeal that was different maybe to other sports people because like we said near the start this is what everybody everybody dreams of playing or most young kids dream of playing one major sport to be able to do both is is almost beyond what we could even conceive as children Uh, was he held up as this kind of superman almost?
1: No question he was absolutely and we haven't had one since really I mean we haven't had a, uh, a crossover star like him and like I said Dion did it and Dion kind of followed in his footsteps but Dion Really didn't have the baseball success that Bo did. He was he was a serviceable baseball player, but he was you got the feeling that he was kind of just doing it. His his heart wasn't truly in it. Seems like Bo's heart. This is not to knock Dion. The guy was a gosh darn two sports star, but uh, he he he, he's a guy who um, played baseball sort of to bide his time during the spring. And you had mentioned that the most common combination is baseball and football and you're right. And I think that's a function of the calendar mostly is mm-hmm. that football is primarily a fall and winter sport and baseball is a spring and summer sport. So I think, you know, what you have is you have great athletes who have, you know, six months to kill of the year in, in two in two different blocks so they can do it with baseball and football. It's harder to do it with basketball basketball overlaps with football season. In fact we have the NBA season going on right now concurrently with the NFL season. And uh, and I know baseball does bleed over a little bit in September and October, but it's not as much with the training and things like that. So um, so Dion, uh, was Bo Jackson sort of Bo Jackson light in the sense that? But he's mo- he's thought of as a football player yeah. strictly. He's he's thought of as a, when you tell people, I'm sure there's some people out there that don't even remember Dion Sanders played baseball. Um, those of us who are a little older do. But for Bo, you knew he did both. And Nike. This is back, you know, everybody talks about Michael Jordan as Nike's big star, and of course he was. He was the man who vaulted them, you know, Spike Lee ads and all that. It's got to be the shoes and all that stuff. But, um, but Bo Jackson was kind of, before that, was the guy. And they did a big, famous ad campaign called Bo Knows, and they used the the blues guitarist Bo Diddley. These were famous ads, man. These were, this is when Nike was, Nike was cool, man, before all the sweatshop stuff and all that. (laughs) <laughs> the cheap labor allegations and and uh, investigations that have gone on when Nike was a real cutting edge brand. They did a famous ad with Bo Diddley playing guitar and Bo Je- and and he was playing a cool thing and, and a bunch of great athletes appeared on screen. I remember Wayne Gretzky and they would you know say Bo knows hockey and you know or Bo knows baseball, or, Bo knows tennis. And then at the end, the funny thing was Bo tried to play the guitar with Bo Diddley mm-hmm. and. And Bo Diddley says, "Bo, you don't know Diddley." And then it was a huge hit. It was one of their best ads ever. So yeah, the crossover appeal was mighty with Bo Jackson, and uh, he was kind of the—he remains the last great one. I wonder who would be our next. I'm kind of thinking organically live with you here about who could be the next great two, two sports star. I wonder if nowadays there's so much money. The money's gotten so much bigger in both sports. I wonder if if it's going to happen again. You know, I just I wonder if a guy's going to be ballsy enough like Bo Jackson to say and I wonder if a team now with with all the investments and in all the money and all the corporate tie-ins I wonder if a team now would sign off on a guy doing what Bo Jackson did I wonder if uh you know it would take a really special guy to to have the power to say to a team no I'm going to play baseball or no I'm going to play football because owners these days are just getting more and more squeamish and uh it's an interesting thing. The wait for the next Bo Jackson—that's what I'm on.
0: Yeah, I like it, Brian. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can think of a few names, but it's uh, maybe even at, at an earlier age. And that now there is also a pressure to specialize in one sport. this can oh, this yeah. can certainly happen in Ireland. I'm sure it happens in the U.S. and we all know about Malcolm Gladwell popularising this sort of 10,000 hour rule that essentially if you yeah. can practice over 10,000 hours at something this isn't exactly what these old studies had showed but uh, it's been taken to mean that essentially the more you specialise the earlier you specialise the better chance you have of being expert at something now David Epstein who uh, wrote the sports gene there last year was over doing a talk in Dublin lately Brian and he, he actually takes a totally opposite view and says that it's quite beneficial to delay the specialisation process and he pointed to professional sports people in America the point he makes was that a lot of the professional athletes now a lot more and more are coming from uh, smaller towns around the country, as opposed to from the big urban areas. Even in, in basketball, which would have traditionally drawn from those areas, and he made the point that this he, he feels this is because if you're from one of those areas, one of those rural areas or, or smaller towns, you're going to have to play all sports. There's no way you can just say at 12 to all the, the coach of the basketball team, I'm not playing for you. Whereas maybe in the bigger cities, you're more likely to concentrate on one sport, and that that mightn't actually that might actually hinder you rather than help you
1: a great point for I mean, it's really good uh, a really good point about the specialization and uh, and and that is something that has greatly curtailed the chance of another Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders coming along and it is it is I think everything you hit on is spot on and it's funny while you were talking there you know what just popped into my head is we do have a guy and I don't know why it took me five minutes to think of it but uh, the current Florida State quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, Jameis Winston, is also a star baseball pitcher. And I talked about how rare it is to make it a pitcher. Mm-hmm. So, so we do have one, and he did. There's another guy who came from, he came from a rural, uh, background. I couldn't tell you his exact hometown, if it's in Alabama or Texas. I think it's in Texas. Um, because I think the big deal was that, uh, the University of Texas football, which used to be so glorious, um, missed out on Jameis Winston. Uh, And and they they saw that as a point to, uh, uh, no, he's from Alabama. Just looked it up here while I was talking to you. Who am I thinking of? But anyway, he comes from Hueytown, Alabama. Is that one of those big big cities you were talking about? (laughs) Hueytown, Alabama. (laughs) I've never heard of it. So you can imagine Jameis, famous Jameis, who, by the way, has gotten a little too famous for uh, the wrong reasons of course he's he's gotten into some trouble right. unfortunately but he's a guy and you're right he comes from a small town background and in those small towns now you go to your high schools and those guys play football and those kids play basketball and those guys play baseball now for example i live here in the san francisco bay area big populated metropolis tons of money all this tech money where everything's just exploding san francisco's got so much money now and housing prices are through the roof and you know what I see happening right before my eyes just in every family I meet? Specialization. All they want to do from a young age is take that money they have and take that competitive environment they're in and turn their kid into a swimmer, turn their kid into a baseball player, turn their kid into a basketball player, and that's it. One track or football, less or so in... In the white enclaves of the San Francisco Bay Area, lesser on football and more on baseball, it becomes a real popular suburban Caucasian sport. but yep, I see it with my own eyes, and I can imagine in Hueytown, Alabama, and other places like that where they don't have the money to pay that's what it comes down to is the money for the instruction now. These guys are getting instructed at a young age. you know my kid is a first grader, and I'm getting emails constantly from this thing called the Mill Valley Baseball Academy telling me, "Hey, come on out, man, it's too late." You know, don't get behind the curve, we're doing some camps, you know, during Christmas, come on out and start, you know, honing those skills, I'm like, he's in first grade, man, so uh, that's not happening in the smaller communities in the South, you're getting guys who are playing more sports, and then it becomes an argument as to whether you you favor the Gladwell argument, which is 10,000 hours, and as you mentioned, or the Epstein argument, which is a guy like Jameis Winston becomes a more all-around athlete, and is better for his... There's talk of injuries, you know, if you if you overly specialize, they, they, the amount of injuries that that happen to you, especially in baseball, or is Jameis Winston healthier because he plays uh, different sports and uses different muscles and, and uses different uh, techniques? So, it is a fascinating topic, and that's our guy. He he would be the guy. Now I don't. It's gonna. I'll tell you this: Jameis Winston's going to come out. I think next year, and I would just bet heavily that he's going to have to pick one or the other. He's not going to be able to have that. Bo Jackson life. But maybe he will. Maybe he'll have enough power. It also depends on their passion for the craft too. How much he wants to play baseball or how much he doesn't. Like Kaepernick had no interest in playing baseball. Whereas Russell Wilson had more of an interest, so he pursued it at least through the minor leagues. So yeah, here we go. So, James we're on Jameis Winston watch. See if he can be the next guy.
0: Yeah, we've hit on another topic, Brian. I'm going to have to hold it over for another week, though, because I'm intrigued to know how much how much it costs to educate a kid in in, in sports in the U S. So we might hold that because that that sounds like another 15, 20 minute conversation.
1: I have to get my abacus out. And start <laughs> yeah, check man. the check
0: the bank account. Uh, but in the meantime, we do wish well, and uh, hopefully, your boy Kaepernick can recapture oh. the magic pretty soon.
1: Well, it's gonna take a miracle run, boys. I don't think they have it in them. You know, we're just coming to the conclusion. Sometimes it's just not your year, <laughs> and you know what? It happens. So uh, you can't win them all, Owen. Brian, take care. Take care, guys.
0: The flame hair, a flame, flame hair, flame truth, the truth. Mr. Mr. Truth. truth, Mr. Ken Early
2: every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to fight somebody. John Hayes I'm talking about I'm John Hayes now I always thought that was ridiculous he had won the victory over himself he loved Brendan Rogers.
0: that's where it comes from
1: thanks
0: a lot Pepe
1: How much do you
0: give a fuck? fair to say anybody could have managed those guys no of course
1: not let me show you right now For you give it
0: up sounds like Brian is definitely falling down on the Epstein side can of the Epstein Gladwell argument the, uh, the multi multitasking as a youngster versus 10 million hours, yeah.
2: Yeah, um, the the old 10,000 hours thing is taking a bit of a beating, really, isn't it? Turned out to be a bit of a lot of nonsense.
0: Well, didn't Gladwell... Didn't the meaning that Gladwell... It originally came about from a, a study of violinists or something back in the, At
2: in the, the 60s. At the Music Academy in Berlin.
0: And um, I, yeah, I don't think... I think the way Gladwell interpreted it is is what's been disputed, as opposed to the original study itself. Well,
2: I remember when we talked to Epstein, he was saying he he had a particular um, beef with the fact that Gladwell used phrases like the magic number of greatness, the ten thousand hours, you know, and he was saying this is just totally wrong. I mean, some people, I mean, uh, obviously, the more you practice something, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. That's that's generally true. We can agree. We can all agree on that. Yeah. Um, but the idea that it, first of all, that if you have 10,000 hours of practice at something that you will, you know, attain master of it is wrong. Some people might uh, and some people will take longer and some people might never get there. Yeah,
0: and I think that the point of that, that, that is that the study averaged out the hours that people were taking. So some people yeah. got to this master status after 1,000 hours, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's yeah, it's,
3: it's a strange thing. You know, I think it's it's one of those things that will never go away though. I mean you say the ten thousand hours thing has taken a beating. Certainly it has. But it's kind but of
2: filtered so we never sat the same. Yeah, it, it, it has
3: completely. You know, and I think it's one of those things where um it's it's much easier to think. You know, it's it's uh, it's a more hopeful message, right? Yeah. Exactly. You know, than saying, right, well, Irish people with fat ankles will never win the marathon. Good, will never win the and That's what Epstein says. Yeah, that's not a very. He, fa-
0: he came on this show and he said, "You fat-angled, fat-angled Irish, angled people, Irish yeah. people are never never have a chance of winning it." Didn't American see the
3: marathon. mudlark nearly doing the business back in '84, <laughs> Epstein. That's neither here nor there. But I mean, I, I think yeah, the, mudlarks
2: the, got very finely turned ankles.
3: He does. Um, <laughs> he does, and they do. But I mean, yeah, what, what you're saying effectively is. There is a limit to what you can do with your genes, whereas the ten thousand hours—the message of ten thousand you hours can be is, whatever
2: you want to be. Yeah,
3: I mean it's for ever for however long people put up photographs of uh, Muhammad Ali and some stupid inspirational quote on Facebook. Yeah. The ten thousand hours message will <laughs> resonate throughout throughout history.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean the only thing that's going to stop an Irish person winning the Olympic marathon is organisation. You know, I mean we go, we go over there. You mentioned the mudlark. Yeah. John Tracy for the people who aren't aware of I'm the, sure there, the I'm legs. sure there's the mudlack <laughs> <good luck. laughs> uh, I of course ran with the mudlack once well he walked I ran and I was at a similar enough pace Okay, um, but uh, yeah I was chatting to him that time I've told the story before but it was a couple of years ago so I'm going to rehash it today why not he said he was over I think it, must, yeah, it was it was the, the Olympics that he got the silver medal in in Los Angeles yeah. yeah in 84 he arrives over himself and the Irish team and I think it was. I think essentially the, the uh, English guys, you know, your your Sebcos, your Steve Ovets, these guys were all striding imperiously around the Olympic Village yeah. with their amazing track suits. Track seats, you know, yeah. just looking like. We're at to walk here, you know. Yeah. We're English. We're, we're, we're amazing. We're here to win. Uh, the, the Irish team had misspelt the word Ireland I mean, <laughs> on the back of the, on the back of their jacket. And Tracy was like, "I'm not I'm obviously not wearing." How
2: do the, they spell it? Like, I, I think there might have just been a
0: missing letter. Yeah. Tracy's like, "Well, I'm just not going to wear it." But obviously, the rest of the Irish guys are like, "Well, I mean, it gets a bit chilly at night time, so we better put this on." So they're all walking around in their misspelt Irish. No, no, it's French. Yeah, Ireland.
2: Coming up in mudlock. Oh. By the way, do you know what that is? I don't know where he got this nickname. I, th- I don't know if English people gave him the nickname because it is like an English word. It's like a word for these little urchins who used to run around on the muddy banks of the Thames at low tide fishing up pieces of of uh, flotsam and, try- and then trying to sell them down at the market. You know, these, these scruffy, dirty-faced little urchin children. Yeah, um, That's what a mudlark is.
0: Yeah, well, our mudlark is a... Sub two fifteen marathon run again. Yeah, I so Silver medal. I silver medal. Sub two ten. So wind your neck. I'm, I'm going to check John Tracy's personal best before the end of the show because I don't want to misrepresent the mudlark. Okay, fair now, now that we've got onto the subject, <laughs> yeah. coming up in second captains football.
1: That's yeah. They have asked for that really. Well, oh, you can laugh. Have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're
2: talking about. What well, did you want? I'd like to,
1: to stay alive. Or oh, I'm saying saying now, okay, later. Later. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you, it well, to you now. Mean, I'm down,
2: 20, 20, 20. down and we see them, What you're doing down here, you show sure man. <laughs> oh, Louis. Oh, oh, Louis, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, with Hugo Borst, the Dutch author of uh, a new biography of Louis van Hal. Well, not really a biography, Owen. I mean, it's more a, um, a search for Louis van Hal. You know? Mm-hmm. Who is he? What's he all about? Where is he? Uh, what makes where is kick? He? Uh, Exactly these kind of things. What
3: guns his engines?
2: And Hugo Borst uh, is a Dutch um, Dutch football journalist broadcaster uh, who who grew up on the streets not not on the streets. He grew up in, in Rotterdam, uh, but used to go to Sparta Ro, Sparta Rotterdam games as a kid and watch the um, the imperious figure of Louis van Hal. Uh, run very slowly around the center of midfield <laughs> and uh, since that giving se- out to people I would imagine giving out to people bossing them around always bold up wishing right. he was Johan Cruyff wonderful posture for a leader mm. uh, that, that long neck that extremely erect stance yeah just he walks into a room and people are like who's that guy
3: he has a military bearing
2: he does and uh, you know it's, it's, a, it's a natural authority that f- begins with posture and continues to, into other aspects of, of his life uh, Hugo Borst was friends with him well, not really friends. I mean, friends in the way that journalists sometimes become friends with the people that go, you know, you spend yeah. long enough to sucking up to someone, eventually they start to sort of, you know, maybe. <laughs> this guy isn't so bad. He's been know, praising me
3: now for 20 years.
2: He's, you know, this guy's not bad. Uh, you know, he's, and then, um, then they fell out. Right. Um, basically, uh, Louis van Hal thought that, that um, Hugo Borst gave his phone number to someone else, a different journalist.
0: That has been the cause of a few fallings out between oh, sports person and journalist over the oh, years. You don't it's not want a thing that. you want to do. You
2: don't want that. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know, people get really precious about that sort of thing. Anyway, it, Hugo Boss said, "Look, no, I didn't do it. Louis, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. Why wouldn't I wouldn't do that?" Mm. And Van Hal said, "No, you did do it." And so they had a big fight. Uh, Hugo Boss demanded he apologised. <laughs> Van Hal doesn't apologize to people. Um, they haven't really spoken since then and they've met a couple of times think he told him, "Louis, I'm I'm going to write a book. I'm writing a book about you now, Louis." And he was like, "Oh, well, if it's got my face on the cover, it should sell a few copies." Uh, and then, the, and then Hugo said, "Look, Louis, I just want you to know that I love you." And then he kind of walked away. So, yeah, I mean, it's I been, love you, but I'm going to write this book about you. I love you, and that's why I'm writing this. And book that's why I'm you, writing this in book in search okay, of okay. you. Okay. So we're going to talk to Hugo and uh, about the book. And we'll talk about the football that was on the last couple days. Oh yeah, of days. All, the,
0: all the football over the last couple of days as well. Sounds good. Uh, that'll be with you a little bit later on today. We're now delighted to be joined by Andy Lee, ahead of his world title shot against Matt Karboff, This is for the Midway Title of the World. Andy, December 13th in Vegas. Um, you're pretty excited at this point, I guess?
4: Yeah, almost there now in terms of training and preparation and um, a little bit left to go. And we be heading to Vegas and you know, ready to do the business. So, uh, like, you know, it's a world title fight and it's, it's my life, you know, it's my dream to be a world champion and I'm, I can almost, not you know, taste it now. I'm, I'm so close. So, yeah, just uh, crossing the T's and ticking the... know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 the that's T's it. and crossing the I's. <laughs> and then uh, I'll be... Uh, that's it really, though. The next few days and then get over there and get down to business.
0: Yeah, as if Vegas isn't glamorous enough, you've been hanging out in Monaco for training.
4: Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, it's been nice. Just the weather alone has has made it worth. Because I don't feel like I'm in any t- any sort of winter since I've been here. Um, but the odd day of rain, but you know it's lovely. We're done doing workouts on the beach and stuff, things like that. So. Yeah, it's, it's been perfect over here, and, and as well, there's been no distractions, kind of isolated away from home and away from everything It's been perfect.
0: Is that, is that a large part of the reason to go over there, a, a bit of sunshine and just a little bit of privacy, a little bit of isolation?
4: <laughs> yeah, um, my coach Adam Booth now lives here in Monaco, and I've been spending a lot of time over here throughout the year, throughout the summer I was here, and we were originally planned to have the training camp in um, Surrey, where I always train. Um because we'd spending more time here and we, we you know we had a good situation with the gym here. Um we just said why not train here? You know, it's it's so much better. like that like I said, the climate is so much better. And um we know like for the coming here during the summer we'd figured out where the best gyms were and you know, the hotels for if if we were to bring in sparring partners and things like that. So that's, that's we just said, you know, let's go for it here. Um going back to England now and I'll have my final week in England and then um, the week before the fight I'll fly over to Vegas
0: Yeah we're probably trying to make this sound a bit too enjoyable Andy I did see you tweeting <laughs> that the, the training had been brutal what kind of stuff have you been doing?
4: Oh I inc- uh, just it's been really like we put an extra emphasis on conditions 12 round fight and, and um, for the first three weeks of the camp it was just strictly conditioning which in terms of leg circuits arm circuits um, there's in Beausoleil where, I, where I'm staying there's this um series of steps that are steep and they, I, I can there's I think there's about a thousand and three hundred steps in all. And um, we've been run I run on I, every Sunday I'd be running up those. And um it's just it's just it's been really, really hard. Sprint sessions, sparring sessions, um punching with pads, with weights, weighted pad work with um weights tied on to ankle weights tied around my wrists. And just, just getting it like I'm like but it's all sort of paying off of all that work I've been doing. I've sparred so far of this camp um sixty four rounds and I'm due to do another twenty next week. And um I'll be I'm in I'm in the shape of my life. I just have to make sure now that we manage to, to peak at the right time and not to over overdo it in the gym.
0: Yeah, because some of that sounds a little bit, uh, a little bit old school, kind of. You think well running up and down those steps. Is part of it aside from the sports science, element, Is part of it just a matter of, t- of toughening your mind up as well, of, of getting through that? So that, you know, I'm sure Adam Booth, your trainer, knows. Once you're once you're willing to put that in, you're clearly in the right frame of mind.
4: Exactly, it and um, it's like if i was to if if, so, if really if someone asked me to fight in two days time i'd be ready for 12 rounds but it's the mental you know the mental side of it and knowing knowing that you've done that all that work and put in those rounds and like i said the steps the circuits the whatever it's session it is once you know they're all in the bank and you've done them it, you go through a mental process every day you, you know when i walk into the gym and i know it's a hard day you know there's an anxiety there and you have to overcome that and Push yourself through it, and with every passing day, you grow stronger. And and once you know, once you do those things, it builds all the confidence that when you turn up on the day of the fight, you know you can go for twelve rounds as hard as you want to, and not be worried about tiring or gassing And um, that's that's no, that's the ideal situation you want when you walk t- walk into the ring.
0: In terms of the tactical side of things, the plan you're working on there, uh, could you tell us as much as you can without giving it away?
4: Sure, certainly, I yeah. like. Karbov is was regarded at one stage when he was amateur as the best amateur boxer in the world and he's a very good technical fighter he has good quick hands and good quick feet um and he likes to feint a lot and the reason um, how you can beat speed or a guy who may be you know um, who might be slightly faster than me is by timing and i plan on he he fights very similar like an like more so like an amateur and i i plan on fighting like a like a seasoned professional which i am and breaking him up with the jab um, i think the jab is will be the key to this fight it'll set the tempo and it'll thwart any attack that he tries to make if he tries to um because he tries to faint and then he kind of lunges in with three or four quick shots um but what we're working on is a point like it's not non-punching boxing called the breakup jab that you kind of throw it in between the combination, and it kind of just puts off the combination. It shuts them down almost. So, I know I have to match him in the early stages of the fight um, for speed and footwork and b- boxing-wise. And I think as the, f- the longer the fight goes, the more in fa- more favour it'll be, more in my favour it'll be, because he's been known to tire in the later stages of fights. And um, with the condition I've been doing it and the work, my plan is to come on strong in the second half of the fight.
0: You mentioned the, his amateur pedigree there' He's two time world amateur champion he's undefeated so far professionally as well so that sounds that sounds pretty impressive
4: yeah, and it is pretty impressive um although in, each, in some of these fights you can see where um you can see where uh, the right fighter if you like me or a good grade fighter could take opportunities to beat him um he hasn't hasn't blown all of his opponents away he hasn't shone or looked. Look, lived up to the expectations that people had of him when he turned pro. Uh, and say, I, of course, it's a world title fight. Everyone's going to fight better or up their game. And I expect him to be at his best um, for the 12 rounds. And I believe if I boxed my best he he boxed his best, i will still win the fight.
0: I read that you know him, or at least you know his family reasonably well.
4: Yeah, actually, um well, I haven't kept touching them, but I met these parents in 2007 in Florida. I was in a training camp there with uh, actually with Vladimir Klitschko. And um, his parents, this couple, were coming to the training every day and watching the sparring. And and eventually I got talking to them, and um, they're all the people. And they said, Oh, our son is Mike um, you know, Russian middleweight champion and uh, I kind of knew the name was true because I'd been having kept in touch with Zorantia and he told me about um, Karabov and how good he was and the fights he'd had with Darren Sutherland so um, uh, from that point we got to know each other and we never kept in touch really but uh, from that point i followed his career since he's turned pro and um, yeah, so I think his dad is works his corner now. So they know me. I know them, and you know, there's no, we don't have many secrets from each other.
0: What were his parents actually doing there? Were they over in America to sort of lay the groundwork for his professional career?
4: They told me that they moved to America um, some years ago, and he remained in Russia because he was part of the amateur boxing. He was in an academy where they get education and boxing training, and because he was such a prompt, like a promising star coming up from the underages that. Um, the, re- the Russian Federation really wanted to keep him there and he decided to stay and so for, for a number of years um, they hadn't seen their son because they couldn't go back because they they kind of left Russia they hadn't been back there and he they hadn't seen him so I think that was when he turned pro that was when really the first time they'd seen him or they at the Olympics I think they went to the Olympics in 2008 to see him so um, that had to be tough for him and for them um, but like I said, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make his life even worse now. Yeah, you when, can catch up. In, him. Yeah,
0: you can catch up afterwards. Hopefully, after beating yeah. the world title at that stage, the fight is in Vegas, um, in the Cosmopolitan Hotel. There, you fought a few of your early fights in Vegas. Am, am I right?
4: I did. I fought there, I think uh, maybe four of my first seven or eight fights in Vegas, um, and yeah, it's going to be nice to go back there. Um, I we really, really recently hoped that the fight would be in Dublin there was a chance it could have been put on in, in the three arena, but um, Vegas is, is still nice. It's nice to go away and um, hopefully come back the champion of the world.
0: It's a different, uh, obviously a different level now. I mean, those those were relatively small fights at the time. Now you're fighting for a world title. Uh, do those experiences help? Because you know you hear people, the boxers, the first time they fight in Las Vegas, just get, arriving there, the whole uh, rigmarole around it seems to be quite a, quite an exciting deal, but maybe a distraction. Are you Freddie steel for that?
4: Yeah, I'm quite fortunate that you know, when professional in America, that I got all of that stuff away, kind of thing. And you know, a lot of the say the Irish or UK fighters who go over to America, it's such a big deal for them that they're kind of in awe of the place and there's themselves who they're up against. But I kind of got all that, um, yeah. I've kind of broken all those myths about the place. And you know, I'm going there, it's totally business. Um, I, the fight could be in. In Kathmandu, I don't care where, you know, I've always said that it doesn't really matter. What happens in, in between the ring, in between those ropes is all that matters and I have to go in there and do a job.
0: And in fairness, the last time you fought for the world title against Chavez was in El Paso, Texas, which was pro- properly intimidating and I know you weren't too happy with a few of the things that went on around that fight uh, in terms of drug testing and just the way the whole thing was set up. So this is this is essentially a neutral venue, so it shouldn't be a problem
1: for you.
4: Yeah, um, the Las Vegas commissioner... A very strong commission um and there'll be no there be like it'll be a much fair playing field but i have that the experience I have from fighting Chavez and all that went on there will stand to me um i'm much better prepared physically mentally for this fight, and i'm not fighting um a champion basically in his home back It's on neutral ground and like I said, there's, there'll be no excuses. Go out. I'm prepared, 100% ready. I'm fit, and go out and do the job.
0: We've talked to you, Andy, in the past, and after the knockout, the spectacular knockout of John Jackson last time out, about uh, the boxing versus fighting. And clearly, you have a, a good plan in place for how to box this guy. If if you get into a bit of trouble, as as can happen in these fights after a few rounds, are you prepared to stick to the plan to wait it out, or might we see another <laughs> another uh, <laughs> attempted knockout?
4: You know, the best, best laid plans in the world, um, like Mike Tyson used to say, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, you know, <laughs> and uh, I, my plan is to go out and box and box and box. But I know that if it comes to it, if I have to get down in the trenches with this fellow, I can do that. I've done it in the past and I'll do it again if I have to, but hopefully I can just stick to boxing and, and win a decision, if not late stoppage.
0: And just lastly, uh, we saw Matt Macklin getting beaten quite comprehensively a couple of weeks ago. Uh, John Duddy long retired at this stage. Do you look at it in in those terms that there was this golden era of of middleweight boxing for Irish guys, and you're the well probably the last one now that can actually do it for us.
4: Um, yeah, but John Duddy, Macklin, and those like it's a shame those could have been great matches, but. Um, I'm the last, you know, the last one. But I've I've been in this position, be in in similar position before. Like I was thinking to myself, um, just a few weeks ago, that you know, I can remember being a youngster and being the only one to win a gold medal at the at the Four Nations at youth and junior, and then the only one to win a world medal at the Europe at the World Juniors, and then the only one to medal at the European Seniors, and then the only one to qualify for Olympics. And I've done that before, and now I'm going to be the only one to win a world title. Um, I know it's in me I know what I have to do it's there like I said I can almost taste it and um, if I just stick to the game plan December 13th I'll be champion of the world Sounds good
0: December 13th in Vegas Matt Carboff the opponent listen Andy Lee um, but thanks for talking to us today and good luck with the rest of the training best of luck from everybody here as well
4: Thanks very much guys thanks for having me on so He's almost like having a second captain is not he? I in no way.
0: Second captain first captain whatever Richie Sadler is here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really.
1: You know, what happened? When
3: John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but
4: no one had seen it. You know?
3: It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's the of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.
0: All right, brilliant to hear Andy in such good form there ahead of the fight. You're you, you trying not to be biased about these things, but we have sometimes, we,
3: <laughs> <laughs> not this time.
0: <laughs> uh, we, we've gotten to know Andy quite well over the years, and um, I'm going to say I'm rooting for him against uh, nothing personal against Matt Kharibov, as, well, uh, as next- Anthony Daly said on TV about 17 times last night. No disrespect, <laughs> no disrespect to Matt Karabov in this case, Ken. Yeah, but uh, I'm I'm going
3: for Andy Lee. I'm pulling for Andy Lee here, and listen, you know, if there are any Matt Karaboff fans out there. No disrespect to you either. Mm. We respect your. man. We respect your fighter. We respect fighter. Your fighter. We as, respect as long as him. you
0: aren't disrespecting Andy Lee. Yeah, because if you disrespect Andy yeah. Lee,
3: don't step up in here. He's gonna and disrespect you with,
0: with a breakup jab. I like that technical. Um, mm. The the breaking down the. It's funny you you, you talk to a, a, a footballer, a football manager about a tactical plan. Uh, so some of them actually might be quite open, Mourinho and some others. But I think most of them don't really want to tell you what they're going to do. Mm. Whereas Andy Lee's like, you oh, know, this is the plan, and I just have to execute it. I mean, he's mm. going to have a, another plan, and uh, we're going to just see well, what happens there. If
3: you just take, I suppose, one step further back from that. Uh, Matt Karaboff knows that Andy Lee is going to go in there, and he's going to try and punch him in the head or body a lot. Yeah, that's basically you know it's the plaid. plaid is there. You know the plaid is,
2: is pretty much uh, self self explanatory. Ken, would you
0: be into the break up jabs, or would you be would you be a, a technician like that, or would you be more of a brawler if you were middleweight? Uh, I'm
2: very much a technician. a Technician, your style. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's boxing. You know, it's not it's not some kind of a of a bar
0: fight. No. It, there's a, this is a, a science to it. But you don't want to get it done early in the early rounds. I mean, you don't get paid for overtime in that business game. In <laughs> my,
2: in my opinion, if he, if you, if if it's not done beautifully, there's no point in doing it at all. All right, okay. You know, um, uh, I mean, sorry, I'm, I'm just scouring my brain here for something to say next, and can't come up with anything <laughs> apart from Norman Mailer uh, talking about the way Muhammad Ali doesn't hit George Foreman that one last time, as. Uh, As he's going down, oh! uh, Well, he hits him, hits him kind of twice. uh, Aesthetic. Foreman uh, sort of uh, collapses almost in a spiral with Ali sort of following him around with the the right hand sort of cocked, ready to go, but doesn't throw the punch because, according to Norman Mailer, he doesn't want to spoil the beauty of that.
0: Or maybe Foreman was slightly (laughs) out of Ali's reach. But listen, (laughs) Mailer, we don't want (laughs) to rain in your parade here. You've written written an amazing book book. here. Yeah, yeah. I'll allow you that. Uh, I know everyone's waiting on this, uh, waiting on Tender Hooks for this one. I have got some mudlark oh, marathon times come here. On, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're absolutely amazing, by the way. Really? Uh, so, uh, second place in Los Angeles in 1984, two oh nine fifty six, two hours nine minutes. 56. That's his first 56. ever marathon. That's his first ever Was marathon. It? Yeah, unbelievable pretty, time. Pretty good. Uh, Boston marathon, notoriously uh, difficult course, Heartbreak Hill of course. Ken. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, John, the mudlark doesn't know the meaning of the word. The heartbreak. words Heartbreak Hill, or just the word Heartbreak. Two hours, nine minutes, 15 seconds. Right. And actually, I do remember just, uh, again, our amazing conversation that we had in Dublin Airport, Murph. Uh, I think he is is prouder of that third place in Boston. See, the Boston Marathon is, for the likes of myself, as a marathon purist. Of course. Is what it's all about. I mean, yeah. you know, you can keep your Olympic medals, but... It's, it's really all it's all about pasta beaten by a, beaten by a man in a banana suit he had it? slowed down a small bit by 92 um, but he did uh, you yeah, know he slowed down a small bit so we'll just stick with the fastest times yeah we have got to absolutely nine stick it, it to
3: uh, then it's obviously yeah t- his most day. recent one was you know <laughs> terrorist 25 it's, it's <laughs> an
0: absolute disgrace that's pretty much it from us we will have the football podcast out a little bit later on uh, thanks Ciarán
2: thank you one. thanks very much Ken. thank you and thank you Ciarán
0: thank you Ken. check out the website secondcaptains.com and thanks for listening
2: Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Huh? They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys.